Hey, what's going on? It's Matt Polis, and it's time for another episode of Meat Sauce for Tuesday, February the 2nd, 2021. Happy Groundhog's Day. Great movie, by the way. This is episode number 16. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me. I think I've got a fun show for you today. It's officially Super Bowl week. Super Bowl 55. I'll give you my thoughts on the big game later in the show. But I am working on some new segments this week, and I'm implementing at least one of them. I would like to do it full time, you know, spice things up a little bit, uh, maybe provide some knowledge bombs. And I I think it'll be fun. So I'm looking forward to to doing that. There's not not been too much new to re uh, to report this week, you know, from the last week or so. You know, not much new has happened. I know today is Groundhog's Day. Let me tell you, it has felt like Groundhog's Day for almost an entire flipping year. I feel like I'm in the movie. I feel like I'm Bill Murray. I, I just that's how I feel. It's insane. It's like day after day, it's just the same old thing. It's crazy. I'm keeping busy though. I'm keeping busy. Keeping myself occupied, I'm enjoying the time that I have, but man, it just uh, just feels like Groundhog's Day over and over again. Um, Also, if you haven't listened to episode 14 yet, first of all, what are you doing with your life? Second of all, I briefly talked about my current obsession with whiskey review channels on YouTube, and I'm happy to say... Two weeks later, since I said that, my obsession has only gotten worse. Some of the, So some of these YouTube channels, they host live streams on any given night during the week. Um, I, there's a, a, a group of guys, or two guys really, called the Bourbon Junkies out of Michigan. And they've been ho- they host a live stream on Tuesday nights. And then there's another guy out of Columbus, Ohio. He goes by the... YouTube channel, The Mash and Drum. I love their videos. Been super helpful in just helping me understand what bottles a beginner such as myself should be looking at or acquiring. Ones that are of high value, but you know maybe aren't super expensive to start out here. So they each have their own live streams throughout the uh, each night of the week. Like I said, Bourbon Junkies are on Tuesdays. I know The Mash and Drum does it on Wednesdays. And so I took part in those live streams last week, and man, they were so much fun. I mean, we're talking like two, three hours of just sitting there. (laughs) This is embarrassing, I guess, now that I'm thinking about it. But two to three hours of just sitting there, just watching these guys, you know, go live on YouTube. It was just, I don't know, it was just a lot of fun. The Bourbon Junkies had me laughing so hard. Like I said, they're two guys from Michigan, and they, oh my god, they were just cracking me up. Just about everything, about anything and everything. It was just so funny. So I really, really enjoyed those. Uh, so anyway, I've been, I've been adding, because of them, I want to blame them, I've been adding bottles of whiskey to my collection over the last few weeks. And a couple highlights that I'm really, really happy to have bought are the Wild Turkey Rare Breed. Um, if you've had the Wild Turkey 101, it's kind of the step up from that. And then also yesterday, I just picked up the Jack Daniels 2020 Special Release Barrel Proof Rye. And I want to briefly talk about the Jack Daniels Special Release because I think it's a really special bottle. And I think even more so than maybe I even realize. 
So this bottle is a special release for 2020. I think it came out in November, December of 2020. And they only, Jack Daniels only bottled 200 barrels of this whiskey for the entire world. You know, so my bottle specifically, not every bottle is the same as far as proof. Mine bottle specifically is 131.3 proof. So coming in a little hot. Um, I've seen it. And what's, what's crazy is I've seen it on the secondary market for upwards of like $200, the same bottle. And by the way, the secondary market for whiskey is insane. It's basically bottles that are really hard to find or people buy a bunch of the same bottle and then try to sell them for more because they know they're hard to find or they're, you know, more rare. So people try to make a quick buck or quick few hundred bucks. But, um, people are on there buying single bottles for like a thousand dollars or more for a bottle. It's insane. I I just, I can't get over it. Anytime I've gone on the secondary market, just to kind of see what's out there. It's, it's wild to me that people are paying those kind of prices. You know, to me, I, I think a really, a really, really special occasion bottle is like, to me, $200. That's probably the most I would spend. And that again, special occasion once in a, once in a year type purchase for me, but you know everything else for me is in that twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty dollar range. You know, and even splurging to a hundred dollars, um, I think is okay. But the the amount that people are paying on the secondary is is wild. Um, but anyway, so the the Jack Daniels bottle, which again I had said upwards of two hundred dollars on the secondary market. I got for $55 just down the street from from where I live, a, a local liquor store. It was the last one that they had. I did not walk in expecting to see it or to buy it, but it was their last one, so I was like, why not? You know, I had watched several review videos on it and everyone who had reviewed it just was obsessed with it and said how good it is. I um again, just I, I've gone in that liquor store just to get beer sometimes, but I've never really taken a chance to like stop and look at their uh, bourbon collection, mostly because I, I don't like liquor stores that have all of their bottles behind the counter. I can't stand that. I'm somebody who needs to like like hold the bottle, look at it, decide, put it back, walk around, look at other bottles, come back, touch it. Like I, I need that kind of interaction before I make a purchase like that and having the bottles behind the counter just make it, it puts pressure on me to like buy something. Obviously I bought it. So it put some sort of pressure on me to have the, you know, the worker behind the counter, grab the bottle for me, wait for me to decide so on and so forth. So I, I don't know. I, it was crazy. It felt like uh felt like good karma in a way. It was like, well, maybe I've done something good and this is the payback or something for it. But I was, and it was funny because I was just talking the night before how I would like to have another rye on the shelf. I've only got one rye right now, and actually, it's a really, really good rye. It's the Old Forester rye. It's a hundred proof. It was only like twenty four dollars. So, if you're listening to this and you're like, "Hey, I like rye whiskey," and but you don't really know what to get and don't want to spend a lot of money because ryes are pretty expensive comparative to just regular bourbon. The Old Forester Rye 100 Proof, $24. I think it's really awesome. I would definitely be buying another bottle of that <clears throat> when it's gone. So, but yeah, I was just talking last night about how I would like to have another one. And then here we are. 
So I got one of the best of 2020. And really, from again, from the reviews I've watched, people are saying this is maybe the best thing Jack Daniels has ever done. So I'm pretty excited about that. And with that, that brings me to a new segment that I'm going to start today. I'm pretty excited about it. I hope you'll be able to learn a little something that maybe you didn't already know. I've already started learning a ton, so I'm really excited to share it with you. This new segment is going to be called... What's on the shelf? This segment is going to be where I'm going to pick up, or I'm sorry, I'm going to pick, you know, one bottle from my current whiskey shelf or whiskey cart and give some facts on the bottle and the distillery. You know, something I really enjoy about whiskey so far is the story behind how it was made, you know, how a certain bottle came to be. There's always, there's always also a story behind how, how people acquire the bottles you know, which I think makes each bottle unique in its own way. It's very similar for when, for me and my vinyl record collection. You know, I've got vinyl records where each one, I know where it came from. I know how I acquired it. It's just kind of a, having the backstory to it just makes it, I think, that much more special. So I, I feel that same way right now with, with bourbon and, and whiskey and all of that. I'm also going to use this segment as a chance to kind of give my lists of top bottles to get within certain price ranges. You know, I'm as I'm starting to learn more and getting more comfortable, I think I'm okay to have an, my opinion on what bottles to get, mostly from my own experience. Again, I'm somebody who's not trying to spend a lot of money. So for me, I might be able to help somebody who's just, you know, getting started but doesn't really know because there's so many bottles out there. And you would assume that the only great bottles of bourbon or whiskey are like the really expensive ones. And it's just, as I'm finding out, it's just not true. There's a lot of really great ones for very reasonable prices. So I, I want to provide some of those lists as we go here throughout the weeks. And yeah, so let's get started. So the first edition of What's on the Shelf. I'm sharing my Maker's Mark private selection taste panel. I just talked about <laughs> bourbon that doesn't cost a whole lot. This is not that. This was a little more expensive, but I I, um, I got this when we were in Kentucky. We did the Maker's Mark tour, which was really, really awesome uh, for my 30th birthday. So this was one of the bottles I came away with. It uh, So like I said, it's Maker's Mark private selection, and it's their taste panel. Something cool about this bottle is that they only sell it at their distillery in in like their gift shop so you're not going to find it in stores and you're not going to find this specific type of bottle anywhere else except for the the distillery so maker's mark is out of loretto tech uh loretto texas jesus loretto kentucky um and if you don't know maker's mark is known for the tops of their bottles dipped in the red wax so if you ever at the grocery store or at a liquor store and you see bottles of of whiskey with a red wax all over it that's probably makers because i'm pretty sure they have a trademark on that what's really cool is every single bottle at the distillery is hand dipped so the the thousand hundreds of thousands of bottles that they distribute all of those are hand dipped in the wax so that's pretty cool and the uh, the unique thing about makers mark and their bourbon is that they don't use rye in their mash so typically a bourbon has a certain percent, a certain percentage of corn, a certain percentage of rye, and a certain percentage of malted barley. For a bourbon, it has to be at least 51% corn to be a bourbon. 
so for makers, their mash bill, <clears throat> their mash bill is 70% corn, and instead of the rye, they use 16% of red winter wheat, which makes this a wheat whiskey, and then 14% malted barley. So this bottle specifically is 111.6 proof, and it cost me $80. It was bottled in January of 2020, and like I said, the bottle is only sold at the distillery in the gift shop. What makes it unique and makes it part of their private selection collection is once the regular maker's aging process is complete, which I looked it up and it looks like it's about five years and nine months is the regular uh, aging process for their normal bourbon. Uh, then the taste panel is finished in a barrel with a combination of 10 different oak staves for about the next 10 months to a year, if I remember correctly. And this is used to provide like a unique flavor combination. So my bottle specifically, and they kind of let you know on the bottle which staves were used and what the stave profile is. So uh, for me, they had, let's see, this bottle had one baked American pure, five seared French cuvee, three roasted French mocha, and one toasted French spice. So those were the 10 staves that were used in this bottle. And just kind of, I, I'm still really trying to learn about being able to detect um, nosing profiles and tasting profiles. I'm still not at all good at that. I'm, I'm starting to kind of understand what I'm trying to find and pick out. Um, for me on this Private Select Makers, the nose profile and taste for me includes cinnamon, brown sugar, molasses, syrup, vanilla, and pepper, which are really common in bourbons that I'm finding out. But this one has such a nice oily texture on the mouthfeel. It's like really, really thick. It almost feels like you're drinking like syrup when, you know, without, obviously without the stickiness, but it just has that kind of uh, texture that kind of coats your whole mouth. And it's just a really enjoyable uh, pour and I don't I don't pour it often and it's getting pretty low so I'm gonna be sad when it's gone but um, it's it's been a really really fun bottle it's definitely one of my favorites that I own you know one because of where I was when I bought it and two because I think it's the best bottle you know that makers has ever any it's the best makers I've ever had and I'm starting to move away from regular makers a little bit you know, but this bottle is phenomenal. You know, I wish they sold it in stores because I think people would pay the premium price for this bottle. You know, if it was $80 in the stores, I think people would buy it because it's it's just really good. And if you think about, you know, regular makers being, <clears throat> you know, upwards of $30, if you can spend $50 more and get a legit, high-proof, really good, balanced, well-balanced, tasted bourbon, I think people would do that, so... Uh, so that is the bottle that I'm sharing today. Again, that's the Maker's Mark Taste Panel out of Loretto, Kentucky. Um, again, just a really, really enjoyable bottle of bourbon. So that is the first segment of, first edition of What's on the Shelf. Tune in next week for that to see what the next bottle is going to be. Now I'm going to move on to some sports, a couple baseball updates I don't know if you saw over the weekend, Nolan Arenado, I hope I'm saying that right, I think I am, Nolan Arenado, was traded from the Colorado Rockies to the St. Louis Cardinals. 
I think it was like news started breaking like Friday night this past Friday, which is really a huge bummer as a Reds fan. You know, I'm not sure what the Cardinals gave up at this point, but I also know that the Rockies are giving the Cardinals $50 million along with Arenado. It's like, it is, it feels like highway robbery to me. It's crazy. And, And it's also crazy that the NL Central has been so silent. And then all of a sudden this massive trade where you're sending like potentially the best third baseman in the game to the Cardinals. It's like, dang it, man. And the Reds have just been silent this entire offseason. You know, minus a couple small signings and, you know, they've gotten, they brought in some new pitchers, but really the track record on those guys is kind of hit or miss. I mean, luckily we have Derek Johnson, you know, not having Caleb Cotham as the assistant pitching coach this year, I think is actually going to cause a, is going to be a problem for us that we don't really realize yet. I think Derek Johnson's amazing, but Caleb Cotham, I think, did a lot more than we than we really as fans know for those guys. I know Trevor Bauer talked about him a lot about how you know amazing he was, but they you know they and then they traded some of their bigger guys. They traded Rysel Iglesias. They let Archie Bradley walk. You know, and I don't I don't really know what to expect moving into the season as a Reds fan. You know, I feel like I haven't heard anything hardly at all. I did see that the Reds acquired uh, Philly shortstop Kyle Holder via a trade over the weekend. But Holder is 26. He was with the Yankees for a while, then with the Phillies, but he hasn't really played. Uh, he's kind of been, I think, minor leagues. I don't even know if he's really made it to the majors or has had longer long stints up in the majors. So it doesn't sound like he's going to be the everyday short, shortstop. So I don't know who they are thinking. If there's somebody else in the pipeline that maybe we don't realize yet, who's going to play that position full-time. I like Kyle Farmer a lot. I think he's a great clubhouse guy. I think he's an awesome utility person. I just don't know about him as a full-time shortstop and his offensive consistency. I really like him out there. I think he is comfortable, and I think he defensively is is really strong. I just I'm not sure about his offensive consistency, which makes me nervous. You know, that's a position where you really need, in this day and age of baseball, you need that offensive production from that position you really need it so uh let's see there's still still hasn't been much news on the Trevor Bauer front there was talk that the Mets had offered him about 40 million dollars but it's unsure if that is per year or for how many years uh nothing from what I can tell has really been confirmed so who knows at this point I mean that that Mets talk was like a week or two ago and there hasn't been anything since then so I, I don't really know where we're at with that at all and I'll be honest, I kind of, I'd been watching his vlogs, like his off-season vlogs on YouTube, and I don't know, he he and his agent, Rachel Luba, just, or as he calls, which I love, Ray Chalupa, just gotten kind of gotten annoying a little bit, and I think they came into this off-season with like the idea of social media and blowing up his brand and all of this, and, and I don't disagree with it, it's just like Twitter's Twitter's gotten a little bit annoying from from them like they just have been kind of ridiculous on Twitter and then I just kind of stopped watching their vlogs because it just I don't know it feels a little egotistical like I love that they give an insight to the game an insight to like what they go through and what's happening in the offseason but it just comes across as like kind of selfish in a way and maybe I mean he doesn't care <laughs> he's He's one of a kind, and I and I love him. I would love to see him back in a Reds uniform. 
it's not going to happen. But I, I just am a little put off by his offseason shenanigans with the with the vlog and with his just Twitter stuff that has been going on. Uh, moving on quickly here to the NFL and some trades and some trade speculations that have been going around. So obviously there was a huge trade over the weekend, Saturday night. The news broke that the Detroit Lions have tr- traded quarterback Matthew Stafford to the Los Angeles Rams. It later came out that they traded him for a 2021 third-round pick, 2022 first-round pick, 2023 first-round pick, and quarterback Jared Goff, who was the first overall pick in 2016. So, really big trade. This is probably the biggest trade, and really, in recent memory, the only trade that has happened before the Super Bowl has been played, and before, technically, the Pro Bowl would have been played. Obviously, there was no Pro Bowl this year, but... It's the first time I've really seen that kind of a big trade before the Super Bowl. It was interesting. I read something. I'm not going to be able to find it right now, but I read something that Sean McVay and his wife were on vacation. I think I'm going to say Mexico. Don't really know if that's true. They were on vacation in paradise of some sort. And apparently Matthew Stafford and his wife were also in that same area on vacation. And once the news of the trade broke... They all they both got together and celebrated, had some drinks and dinner and all of that. Uh, I read that on Twitter, I believe, which is kind of cool. I mean, who knows if they meant to both be down there at the same time, but uh, kind of neat that that happened. But right away for me with the trade, my thought is that this is really good for Matthew Stafford, and it's really great for the Detroit Lions. I think they both need a fresh start. You know, Matthew Stafford's been in the league for 12 years, 12 seasons. He's got four winning seasons out of that. I know he always hasn't had the best talent around him, but he did have Calvin Johnson for however many years, you know, and at that time in the NFL, I feel like you just needed a quarterback and one big guy. And now you need like several pieces around the, around the offensive side of the ball. But back then I feel like you could have gotten pretty far with, with just Megatron. So I don't know. I, I think it just is good for Matthew Stafford to get a get a fresh start. I did see he had told the Lions he's open to a trade anywhere except for the New England Patriots because former head coach of the Lions, Matt Patricia, is now back with the Patriots in some capacity. I don't know what his role is on the coaching staff, but apparently he's back there. <laughs> and that's the only team that Matthew Stafford said, don't trade me to. So that kind of shows you the relationship there. I think the Rams absolutely gave up way too much for a quarterback. Again, that has had four winning seasons in 12 years. You know, I know Matthew Stafford's a gamer, but he's getting older. You know, like I'm curious to see him implemented in the Sean McVay offense and and to see how that works. But I, I still really just can't believe how much the Rams gave up. I mean, they gave up two first round picks and a third round pick. And obviously their quarterback that they drafted first overall. Now he was drafted first overall when Sean McVay was not the head coach. So, you know, but he took him to a Super Bowl. I mean, he was in a Super Bowl literally just a couple years ago. So I don't know. The grass isn't always greener. You know what I mean? So I was just really stunned. You know, I think this puts the the Lions in a great position over the next few years to really lock in some top tier talent. I don't know. I, I think Jared Goff is their quarterback, at least for this upcoming season. I think. 
I mean, who, who really knows? I mean, they now have so much leverage with their first-round picks. I mean, they're going to have, as far as I know, an extra third round this year, two first rounds next year, and two first rounds the year after that. I mean, that's, that's some serious capital <laughs> to be able to either make some big trade or get some really, really good, solid young talent on rookie deals. So that will be pretty pretty cool to watch for Detroit. Obviously, I live in this area, so I would love to see the Lions start to produce and start to be successful so that this area rallies around rallies around their teams and they haven't really had that opportunity. And just for me experiencing the Browns this past season, like I want that for the city of Detroit as well. Uh, and then I want to talk briefly here about the trade rumors involving Houston quarterback or Houston Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson. He's clearly no longer happy in Houston with the organization. To be honest, I think he has every right to be frustrated and pretty much done with them. As an organization, I don't know what the heck they're doing. You know, after seeing this trade with the Lions and the Rams, a team is going to have to give up so much to get Deshaun Watson. I, I right away I'm thinking three or four first-round picks, which was already kind of a given. But I think they're also going to have to add on either some players or some mid-round picks in the draft. But it's going to be a haul for any team to to make a play at Deshaun Watson. But Houston, I don't know what the heck the Texans are doing. You know, Obviously, last year they traded DeAndre Hopkins for like a toothbrush and a pair of slippers. Like I, I just <laughs> I don't understand what that whole organization it's a mess and then I'm hearing JJ Watt might want out too I would love to see him on the other side of Miles Garrett for a couple years in Cleveland hint hint nudge nudge I would love to see that (laughs) but I did see Colin Coward he he said that the Oakland Oakland uh formerly known as the Oakland Raiders the Las Vegas Raiders need to send four first round picks Derek Carr and their tight end, for, uh, last name Weller, tight end, need to send the, that amount to the Houston Texans for Deshaun Watson. I think that's freaking insane. That is way too, way too much. Four first-round picks and then two other key players, <laughs> the quarterback, Derek Carr. I mean, I know you get Deshaun Watson, and he's amazing, but, like, again, the grass isn't always greener. It, he's not guaranteeing you a Super Bowl. You're not guaranteed anything. By trading, which brings me to my next point. I think the Browns should absolutely not, and I don't think they will, trade Baker Mayfield and a bunch of picks for Deshaun Watson. There was a lot of talk last week on Browns Twitter, on NFL Twitter, and just talk everywhere about it. And I think they would be crazy. It's just, And I don't think it's going to happen. And it 100% should not happen. And that's not just me speaking as you know, a homer and as a Browns fan, it would just be really dumb for the Browns to get rid of Baker Mayfield after their first 11 win season since 1994, first playoff win since 1994. It's just, it's insane to even consider it. And I know Deshaun Watson is a game changer and all of that, but like, again, the grass is not always greener. Baker Mayfield is the right guy right now for this, for that city, for the city of Cleveland and the team. He is the right guy. And you pair him up with Jarvis Landry, and it's that is a dynamic duo of leadership and of excitement. And I, I don't think Browns should want Browns fans should 
need anything more than what they already have. I think what they have now is is pretty incredible, and I would hate to see that go away right now. You know, so I mean, we're building off of a playoff team. Uh, that why need to why do you need to go get Deshaun Watson? Baker Mayfield looked really really good the back half of the season. So you hope that he carries that into next season. And he's going to have, for the first time, a head coach for consecutive years. He's going to have the same playbook, the same system, the same everything. It's like, for the first time, we're actually going to get to see a consistent Baker Mayfield because of a consistent coaching staff. So I don't know how Browns fans can even think about wanting another quarterback. Unless his name is like Patrick Mahomes. That's like the only person that I could see being interested in trading for, <laughs> obviously. But I, I think that's I think it's crazy that people want to want to throw out Bake after <laughs> an eleven win season and a playoff win. But that's just me. All right, moving on. Let's see. Super Bowl fifty five. We got those Kansas City Chiefs versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's the big game mentioned last week that I think right now these are easily the two most well-rounded teams that are playing great on both sides of the ball. You know, obviously both offenses are great, but it's really been their defenses that have really surprised me during the playoffs. Seeing the Bucks against Aaron Rodgers and that offense, I mean, obviously they gave up points, but you're going to kind of always give up points. That's just the nature of the beast at this point in the NFL, but the way that the Buccaneers defense was able to shut them down at key moments, I think uh, speaks speaks pretty highly of where they're at right now. And then the Chiefs defense, same thing, you know, against the Browns, against the Bills, certainly way better than I expected in both of those games. It looks like right now the Chiefs are favored by three points. They're probably going to be the healthiest they've been in a while. I know Clyde Edwards-Alaire, he was back last week for the Bills game, and then I think they will also get back for this week Sammy Watkins and Le'Veon Bell for the Super Bowl. I did see that they placed a couple guys on COVID on the COVID reserve list for close contact, so that was right, wide receiver, I forget his first name, last name Robinson, wide receiver, and then center, I forget his name too, damn it. Um, but anyway, center. I don't know if he's a starting center or not, but... I saw both of them were placed on the COVID reserve list for close contact. So I don't know if they're going to be able to play this week or not. Hopefully they don't have anything else come up like that. And I think the Bucks should have Antonio Brown back this weekend. I know he's out with like a knee injury. And I'm not sure. I, I saw something this morning that even if he doesn't play and the Bucks win, he still gets paid like $750,000 for the game even if he doesn't play. So I, I guess it maybe it's not guaranteed that he's going to play. It would be huge for them if they had him back because he and Tom Brady were really starting to click, you know, before he missed that Packers game. But And I think something interesting, you know, obviously I said last week that this is the first time a Super Bowl team is playing in their home stadium for the Super Bowl. It's interesting that it's happening on this year because I don't think the Bucks playing at home will really be that big, as big of a home field advantage you know, given the year with attendance and what the NFL is doing for this Super Bowl. You know, if it was a regular year, then yes, I think there's a distinct home field advantage. But the NFL is allowing all 32 teams to send uh, vaccinated healthcare workers from their respective cities to the game 
and they're covering their airfare and hotel, you know, which is awesome. It's, I think it's pretty amazing of the NFL to do that. You know, therefore, I just don't really see too much of a crowd advantage for the Bucks. I think because you have teams coming from or fans coming from all different cities, you're going to have people rooting for either everybody or rooting for the Chiefs when normally maybe, you know, the fans that would be in those seats would be for the Bucks, you know. So I think the I think the Bucks in the playoffs so far have played better football against their opponents than the Chiefs have. You know, but obviously the the Chiefs are the Chiefs. But you've also got number 12 on the other side of the ball who's playing in his 10th Super Bowl. And, you know, I don't know. the game. You just really couldn't script it any better. We talk all the time about NFL and the storylines. and the. It's always really great stories, and I think this is one of those. It almost feels like a changing of the guard with Tom Brady, 10th Super Bowl, and you got Patrick Mahomes coming in trying to go back-to-back. And I think it's just... Uh, I think it's just really cool. All right, it's time for my prediction. I'm going to take the Kansas City Chiefs 31 to 27. I think their offense ends up being too much for the Bucks and their defense, the Chiefs defense is just really playing strong, especially with Tyron Matthew in the in the safety position. He just is all over the field. He's the leader of that defense. I really see uh defense not shutting down Tom Brady in that offense, but I see them containing them when they need to. So I think the Chiefs win 31-27. to I'm going with the Chiefs. Super Bowl Sunday is always such a fun day. If you've got any sort of money on the game, I hope it goes in your favor. That's going to do it for today's episode. Thanks so much for joining me. I hope you have a great rest of your week. Stay safe out there, and I will talk to you next week. Bye, everybody.